if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 17th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the program, you're going to be inspired an hour from now at about 10.08 or 10.10, somewhere in that neighborhood, depending on when we get out at the top of the hour. Um, Pastor Daryl Scott is going to be joining us. Pastor Daryl Scott is indeed inspiring. And he's going to join us to talk about his testimony before that uh, Senate committee last or House committee, beg your pardon, uh, last week, uh, in which he testified about policing and police reform and race in America. He testified on behalf of police officers, on behalf of safety. That's correct. Uh, pastor Daryl Scott is, of course, an African-American pastor here in Cleveland. He was invited by Congressman Jordan to discuss uh, the situation involving racial division in this country, racial strife, and race as it involves policing. And he was dynamic and amazing. And he's going to join us to talk about that at 10.10 this morning. He says it's irresponsible, to say the very least, to the to call for the defunding of our police or the disbanding of our police he said it is simply politicizing current social events we're going to dig into that with him coming up again at 10:35 or excuse me 10:10 beg your pardon this morning then also coming up on the program today uh we're going to talk to Kathy Barnett at 10:35 she's an author her book is nothing to lose everything to gain being black and conservative in America. She faces the same thing that Daryl Scott faces, the same thing that Tim Scott faces, the same thing that uh, Ben Carson faces, the same thing that Sheriff David Clark faces, the same thing that Larry Elder faces, etc., etc., etc. And that is allegations that they have traded their race or they have been traitors, T-R-A-I-T, or traitors to their race because they believe in conservative principles. It is painful to watch what these people go through, the attacks from their own community and sometimes their own families, simply for being free thinkers and freeing themselves from the proverbial democratic plantation. And Kathy Barnett is going to tell us why. By the way, in addition to being an author, 
She's a candidate. She's trying to put her um, words into action. She's a candidate for Congress in the 4th District of Pennsylvania. So we're looking forward to that conversation. All right. Uh, I want to start today by following up a little bit on what I started yesterday's program with. I, um, you know, sometimes it sounds like I'm being melodramatic for the sake of being melodramatic. Sometimes it sounds like I'm being just, you know, you know, really uh, over the top. You know, some people might say if it was online, clickbait. If they say it's on air, it's for ratings or whatever. When I said that 2020 is a pivotal year, 2020 is a year that, quite frankly, um, in the future history of America, will go down in the history books. Again, if children are allowed to read those. Remember, we're in the business right now of wiping out all of our history that we don't like. If we don't like it, we wipe it out. That's going on right now. History is being canceled in America. So if 50 years, 100 years from now, children are allowed to look back at history books, uh, they will look at 2020 as the pivotal moment, the the, the year that we, we kind of went over the um, uh, the tipping point, if you will. We We crossed over. Uh, the edge. And Peter Kirstenau, by the way, unsolicited, and he did not hear my original commentary, said the same thing on yesterday's program. So I think I said that on Monday, but beg your pardon. But at any rate, um, it's a tipping point, and this is the year that we come either unglued and watch it happen and prefer and choose out of fear or comfort to sit back and watch it happen, or it will be it will go down in the history books as the year that we rose up together. And when I say together, my friends, I mean together, black and white, and all races, and all ethnicities, because we are all American, that we all get together and fight for the glory of this great republic. So I brought that up, and I did a pretty impassioned monologue about it, Uh, and last night I read an editorial in Commentary Magazine, not by one individual, but by the editors as a whole. And I thought, this is exactly what I was talking about. They're not calling it the tipping point. They're not calling it crossing over the Rubicon. They're calling it the great unraveling. And it's something that we must stop. They're talking about the unraveling that we see of American fabric, the fabric of our society. We're talking about allowing a select few, and let's be clear about this. Antifa, very dangerous in this country, but they are a select few of the 330 million people. Black Lives Matter, the organization, very dangerous in this country, but they are a select few in this great republic of 330 million. Any white supremacy groups, and by the way, they're not out there doing things at the moment that we are seeing, uh, but they are very dangerous for America, but they are a select very few of the 330 million people in this great republic, right? We are allowing a very small select number of people who have anarchy in mind to tug at the strings of the fabric of America and attempting to unravel it all. And that is what we must stop. I'm going to share with you this editorial. It's not very long. It's just very poignant, I believe, uh, from Commentary Magazine after our first break here in just a couple of minutes. Um, But I want to point to an example of what I'm talking about. And I want to ask you this, too. Not just point to and, and, and preach to you, but to ask you how things are going in your home. 
because when I talk about the future and I talk about 50 years from now, what are the children going to be reading? Well, those children are going to be your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, right? And in large part, whatever it is that we leave them is going to be what, based on the decisions that we make right now and also how we're educating our children right now. So I kind of want to ask you, are you discussing what's going on with your children? And if so, how? Because I cannot underscore enough times the importance of having these discussions, reasonable discussions, painting the picture, by the way, with all colors, meaning, not literally skin color, but meaning, explaining from all sides, this is what the people in the Chaz zone in Seattle are saying they want. This is who they are. This is what the Black Lives Matter organization wants and says, and this is who they are. This is what police supporters say, and this is who they are. If you're not having this discussion with them, I promise you, somebody else is. We discuss this kind of thing on a fairly regular basis. Whether it's on the television and something happens and then we talk about it, or it's something in the newspaper, or more often than not, it's something that's online. And my 16-year-old son said to me today, you know, when I'm on TikTok, you wouldn't believe the number of black people who post that they support the police and that they do not believe with Black Lives Matter. Now, that doesn't mean they don't think Black Lives Matter, because, of course, they do. Both they think it, and yes, black lives do matter. I will proudly acknowledge that. Black lives matter because they're human lives. Black lives matter because they're American lives. Of course they matter. And all of our lives matter a great deal. But my son said, you wouldn't believe how many African Americans or black posters on TikTok, which is a very popular teenage social media app, uh, are opposed to the Black Lives Matter organization and who support the police. And I said, of course I would believe that. You see, here's the reality of the situation. The reality is that the vast majority of white people in America and black people in America like each other. They have no problem with each other. We are absolutely not a racist society. We are 100% not systemically racist. There is no racism in our, in our governmental systems, in our system of laws and justice. There is not. There is nothing that a white child is born with that a black child is not, and vice versa. And that is opportunity to do anything and everything. And the vast majority of white people and black people in America know that. And they support one another. It's that select few that I just mentioned in several groups that are trying to rip at the strings and unravel the fabric of this wonderfully diverse and unified society. And right now they're winning. Right now, those few are winning. They are really threatening to break up our unified society and make it a divided society, leading us into, again, the cliche of united we will stand, but divided we may fall. And that's what we have to stop.
And and the frustrating part here is, again, that our children don't get it unless we explain it to them. Because if you're not having this conversation about what's really going on in America, if you're not uniting black and white, if you're not uniting all various ethnicities, colors, gen well, I won't say all genders, there's two genders, but if you're not uniting all of these things for your children, I promise you somebody else is teaching them in dif- a different way, whether it's online, whether it's in social groups, or whatever the case might be. It is up to us. I'm going to take a time out. I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about the great unraveling. We're going to talk about Commentary Magazine. And we're going to share with you some very poignant thoughts in the hopes that you can maybe share them with your own children. And I want to ask you, are you having these conversations with your kids? What are you telling them about Black Lives Matter, the organization? What are you telling them about the death of George Floyd? What are you telling them about the death of Rayshard Brooks in uh, in uh, uh, Atlanta in a very, very, very different circumstance? What are you telling them? And what are you expecting them to learn from this? It matters. It matters. What are we going to leave our children? 919, right back after this, only in 1420, The Answer. Across the United States, a great unraveling is in, the pro- is in progress. A rolling crime wave under the guise of social activism has left city after American city shattered and smoldering. Armed anarchists seized territory inside Seattle with the blessing of the local government. In Minneapolis and other cities, a campaign to enfeeble or eliminate the police has gained full legitimacy. In Kentucky, the governor has vowed to provide free health care only to one racial group. In the private sector, companies such as Uber Eats have pledged their commitment to a policy of race-conscious discrimination as well. And major media organs sanction all of the above as proper and good. The unraveling goes further still. Social justice mobs have taken aim at freedom of expression inventing new heresies daily, and ruining the lives of those who unwittingly give voice to them. Forced confessions and language prescriptions are the order of the day. Poetry, fiction, movies, and television shows, including children's cartoons, are canceled and excised from history. Indeed, all art and opinion are now subject to the chopping block, lest they prove insufficiently propagandistic. To rewrite the present, the mob has rewritten the past. They have forced upon us a distorted and grotesque grotesque version of American history. With the support of corporations and education boards, school textbooks and curricula tell of an unredeemable America founded not on the promise of human liberty, but human bondage. What's more... This history discounts the transformative progress on racial equality for which Americans, black and white, have given their lives. Through the violent politicization of all aspects of American life, the mob aims to destroy the country as we know it and replace it with a new one. An anti-America that trades speech for violence, police for thought police, 
a free press for an indoctrination network. And the respect due the citizens for the obeisance owed the mob. There is one way to stop the unraveling. Refuse the mob. We have seen again and again that the mob comes only for those who hope to please it. And when it does, no amount of apology will save you. We stand against the mob and all its sins and all its aims. We stand against the chaos and violence, the silence of debate, the purging of heretics, the rewriting of history, and the destruction of the greatest country in the world. We will defend the most majestic achievement of humankind, the United States of America, against the most ignoble impulse in human history to tear down that which is good. We stand for a plurality of opinion in the public square. We affirm the right to voice a minority opinion, that the right to voice a minority opinion is equal in every respect to the right to voice a majority opinion. We therefore reject the public policing of opinion in all its forms. We stand for a full airing of available facts and data on all topics. We welcome any impartial findings that may serve to advance discussion. No objective facts are beyond the bounds of deliberation and debate. We stand for a rejection of cancel culture and all it entails. We renounce enemies lists, online media mobs, and professional scalp hunts. We stand for clear, bright lines between speech and violence. We affirm that speech, spoken or written, and no matter how egregious, is not equivalent in any way to violence. Similarly, physical violence is not a mode of speech. We stand for an absolute rejection of political violence. We affirm that lawless violence, even in the service of a just cause, is wrong. No exceptions or excuses. We hope you will join us. That is the editorial that I told you last segment I would share with you from Commentary Magazine, the editorial board. We must stop the great unraveling. This is what I was endeavoring to express to you uh, earlier this week on this program when I did a monologue about what the future of our history will say about the year 2020. What future history books, again, if they are allowed to still exist. And that's a big question. We'll say about what we did. Did we stand by and watch the great unraveling of America? Did we watch an acquiescence to the mobs because we were afraid to fight back? Did, do we, did we watch and sit on the sidelines as all that has grown on the tree of liberty, nourished by the blood of patriots for centuries in this country, is destroyed and allowed to spoil? Or did we stand and push back against the mob, push back against the assault on our God-given rights? Remember, your right to freedom and your right to liberty and your right to speech, these are God-given These are not given by man. God gave them to all of us, but it is up to man to protect them. Will you stand and fight back and protect this republic? Stop the great unraveling, as as, uh, uh, stated so brilliantly and so eloquently by Commentary Magazine. Will you stand against the great unraveling? Will you fight back to stop? Again, not through violence, 
The words were very clear and unequivocal and unambiguous. Or will you stand by quietly, afraid of being canceled? Will you stand by subserviently, afraid of offending your neighbor? Because your answer to those questions will dictate the future of this country, the future that you leave to your children, my teenagers, maybe your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Your answer to those questions will dictate what they have. We'll take your phone calls after the news. AM 1420, The Answer. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run. 936. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Coming up in uh, about a half an hour, a little over, we're going to talk to Daryl Scott, Pastor Daryl Scott of course, is from Cleveland. He is the senior pastor for the New Spirit Revival Center, and he's also a member, excuse me, of President Trump's uh, executive transition team. He said in his commentary, in his testimony before the House Judiciary Committee's hearing, the oversight hearing on policing practices and law enforcement accountability, that calls to defund or disband the police are irresponsible and nothing but the politicization of current social events. He was right, of course. Here's just a little bit of what he had to say. Cleveland went through a decade-long downsizing, which saw department, the department reduced from 1,900 officers to 1,500 officers on average. Zone car coverage, which directly affects citizens, has been cut. Police presence in any given district or in any given shift has been cut in half. One- and two-man units have been cut in half. Response time is dramatically longer if the police show up at all. The murder rates have climbed. The property crime is at record levels. Aggravated robbery statistics are higher. Drug sales, drug use, drug abuse is higher. Drug and alcohol-related motor vehicle accidents are the highest they've ever been. Cleveland has went from a relatively safe city per capita to an unbelievably unsafe city. Costs for service have increased even though the, uh, the, the, the population has dropped significantly over the last 20 years. Once safe areas of the city are now unsafe. One, once nice neighborhoods Neighborhoods in the city are now not nice. Homicides are up 55% in Cleveland from this time last year. And Cleveland now has a higher murder rate per 100,000 residents than Chicago does. I believe that police departments are only as effective as politicians and their appointees allow them to be. Consequently, politicians and appointees are directly responsible for the state of their police departments. Law-abiding citizens, and I've spoken to a great deal of them, overwhelmingly think that defunding or disbanding police departments is a horrible idea. Community policing is a very viable option to address the needs of inner city communities. Having police in the communities to actually get to know the residents is the best way to obtain the results that we all want. When I was growing up, the residents and the business owners knew the police officers that were assigned to our neighborhoods and their presence was a deterrent to criminal activity. So in short, defunding of police departments in America has already happened. And it is proven to be an epic fail. 
We cannot allow that paradigm to continue if we want the neighborhoods of America to be safe to live in, the streets of America to be safe for residents to walk on, and the communities of America conducive for businesses to thrive in. So I recommend and I agree with the fact that police reform, or better yet, police revision should be enacted. But it has to be one that is sensitive to the stress, tension, pressure, and paranoia that policing produces. The fact that on any given day, any given call, any given stop can result in an officer's death can be very challenging mentally, while also being sensitive to the citizens of America who are supposed to be protected by the police and not be enemies of the police, whether in the suburbs or in the inner cities, whether we're black, white, red, yellow, or brown. I really believe that most police officers, most cops began their careers, most bad cops began their careers as good cops, but they allowed the rigors of their job to affect their perspectives and their social interaction with those they are supposed to protect, and they began perceiving those that they are supposed to protect as those they themselves need to be protected from. That is a portion of Pastor Daryl Scott's testimony before that House committee last week. Um, and I wish I could improve upon it, but I cannot. His testimony was perfect. It was accurate. His description of what happened to the city of Cleveland when police ranks have been cut and the funds to hire more officers have not been provided and academies cannot recruit large enough numbers to, to bring about the force needed to deal with violent crime in the city of Cleveland. The, those statistics are staggering, and they're also sobering. The city of Cleveland has already, quote-unquote, defunded its police force by not staffing it at required levels. The city of Cleveland has also hamstrung its officers by signing a ridiculous consent decree put in force by the Obama Justice Department because of perceived racial uh, improprieties or disproportionate interactions uh, in the city of Cleveland, all because of a couple of high-profile situations that are that just are such a teeny tiny itsy bitsy percentage of a fraction of all police interactions with people of color in the city. And this is not unique to Cleveland. What Pastor Scott described in Cleveland probably could have been said about dozens and dozens and dozens of other American inner cities and large urban centers. When police are gone or are forced to pull back because of consent decrees or ridiculous rules passed by city councils or orders given by mayor's offices or safety directors, when they don't get out there and do their jobs as proactively and effectively as they can, people get hurt. And the predominant number of people that get hurt are black What Pastor Scott was saying is that if black lives matter, don't defund and hamstring the police. The police are black people's greatest protectors against violent crime committed in their own communities 94% of the time by other black people. But liberals, black lives matter activists, Antifa organizations, they don't want to hear that. 
And they don't want to hear the truth, and they don't want to hear the facts. You know who else doesn't want to hear that nonsense? Charles Barkley. You know Charles Barkley. Outspoken, loud, brash, hilarious most of the time. Charles Barkley is an unapologetic supporter of his black community. And he is never afraid to tell the truth. He doesn't care who's going to call him what. He was on an ESPN uh, television show two mornings ago on Monday morning. And he was speaking out against the calls to defund police. He said, yes, police reform needs to weed out the bad cops. He said, but to defund the police is insane. Quote, we need to weed out the bad cops. You know, I hear these guys getting on television, these politicians talking about defunding the police department. First of all, that would have a negative effect on the black communities. Who are the black people going to call? Ghostbusters? Because they're not going to defund the police in the good white neighborhoods. So we need police reform. End quote. I want you to ponder that for just a moment. But defunding, defunding the police department... First of all, that would have a negative effect on the black communities. Who the black people going to call? Ghostbusters? Because they're not going to defund the police in the good white neighborhoods. So we need police reform. And that's what we need to use during this time when LeBron and Giannis and James and Russ and Kawhi and Paul George, when they got on TV every day, talk about police reform. Because like I say, the police have made some mistakes, but we need the police we need the police. He's 100% right. And, and you, like, as he just listed a whole bunch of current NBA superstars saying, we need to defund the police, we need to reform the police, et cetera, et cetera. Who are we going to call? Ghostbusters? Black, innocent people are in serious jeopardy when police are not available or not around. And these are statistics that quite simply cannot be overlooked. Can we point to anecdotal situations? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the statistics cannot be ignored. I know that nobody... See, you know, Ben Shapiro is well known for his uh, his phrase, uh, um, facts don't care about your feelings. But when we're talking about race and police in America, feelings want nothing to do with facts. Feelings and emotions don't want to hear your statistics that talk about 94% of violent crimes against black people are committed by black people, not white people. They don't want to hear about the fact that 53% of homicides in America are committed by 13% of the population, the black population, and that that kind of interaction with police because of significant violent crime statistics leading to more interactions and particularly conflicts with police would predict and I've talked to Heather McDonald, I've talked to Peter Kersenow, I've talked to numerous people about this, Dr. Ron Martinelli, and other experts in the field would predict far, 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 far more shootings of African Americans by police officers based on those crime statistics. But the same statistics prove that black uh, suspects are far less likely to actually be fired at by police officers because of fear in the police community of being accused of racism. Police are much more likely to pull their weapon and fire at a white suspect than a black suspect because they know they're not going to be the next viral video if they do. And that's just the sad reality of the situation. All right, I said I wanted to get some phone calls. Let's do that right after this short time out on AM 1420, The Answer.
216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you to the program. I'm uh, refraining from promoting social media for a while, as you know, over the last several days. Uh, because I just can't. Uh, I will you still use it as I need to for the purposes of the show, but I will not promote it because of its extraordinary negative impact. It is an extraordinary negative impact that it has on all of our society. BJ is in North Olmstead. BJ, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Thank you, Bob. I'd like to segue to something different, if I may. Uh, on uh, June 18, 1953, I was serving as a medic in Tatsukawa, Japan, when several boys were on R&R from Korea, and they came through our base, and I got to talk to them and know them. And they were to board uh, C-124 transport uh, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which they did, and we went off duty at 5, and uh, their plane took off about uh, quarter to 5, and I got a call about half hour later at our barracks to get all the medics back. Their plane went down about 10 miles from our base, and 129 of them were lost, and I think of them frequently, and I want to honor them every time around this, this year, at the time of the year. And it makes me think about what's going on in our world today and how many servicemen sacrifice their life for a peaceful country and an honest country and a true country and for the gift of being born American. I know this too shall pass in time in the year of the mask, but the behavior of mankind today is really in, in major conflict with each other. But there is going to be awakening. I think you see that. I think you hear it. I recognize that a lot of our black brothers are speaking more of the truth than anybody else today. And I think more truth is coming from that community because they've been, they've been pretty much the show people. Uh, when I say show people, I mean the people that we've been talking about and what's going on in our world. But we have to sometimes go through the pain of these things before we come out to the other side, and I think we are going to come out of the other side. The rest of this month and July, you're going to see many, many changes, and I thank you for the time, and God bless our fallen soldiers. Thank you, Thank you, uh, BJ. Thank you for that wonderful memorial uh, to the fallen as well. Uh, I hope you're right about the last part. I do. Uh, I hope we come out on the other side, and I hope we survive this. As I said before, it's going to take a monumental effort, though. The forces against us are small, but they are powerful. See, this is the key that I started to talk about. Excuse me. I started to talk about in the beginning of the show. This very small number of people, the small number of Black Lives Matter organization, not those who just believe Black Lives Matter, again, because I am one of those. I believe that Black Lives Matter. I do not support Black Lives Matter organization because they are a very, very dangerous group that is trying to help join with some other globalists uh, and Antifa in the United States to destroy this great country. But I believe these groups, while small, are powerful, and the reason why is they have the backing of the mainstream media. And the mainstream media is destroying anybody that challenges their narrative. So it's going to be a monumental Herculean effort for all of us to rise up, knowing that we have to remain silent while we push back. And that's a very hard thing to do. Ponder that for a moment. How do we fight back in a war of ideals and ideas, they're different, how do we fight back if we can't present our ideas and ideals for fear of being called racists? How do we fight back? How do you fight a war of words if you are told to remain silent? And that's what's happening. If you watch Tucker Carlson last night do his presentation on the power of Google, the power of Google, 
is extraordinary. They control so much information in this country online and what is, uh, not just what is online, what is blocked from being online, and then what is picked up by television sources and so on that are oftentimes influenced by them. Their power is so outsized and they are so biased, it's, it's just an amazing thing. So it's going to take a battle for us, a Herculean effort for us to win the war, even though we have far, far more people, blacks and whites, hundreds of millions of us literally united together against a very small group proportionately to the 330 million people in this country. But the small group has the power of the microphone and the online platform. When I say the microphone, of course, I just mean the ability to be heard. And the majority of us who want to speak out against this are silenced or canceled. We have to find a way to fight back despite those challenges. Then we'll see if we come out on the other side, BJ. Vince is in Westlake. AM 1420, the answer. Go ahead, Vince. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Great show was always right to the point, um, and the, the, the comment that I had and wanted to expound on uh, what you had started out to show with the great unraveling of the society, mm-hmm. and then uh, the caller before me, BJ, really brought it in. It's it's going. I was going to ask the question, what do we do to stop it? But he really articulated it right. It's going to take the effort of our black brothers, our white brothers, our brown brothers, everybody of goodwill of good faith, that care about this country, that love this country, and that believe in, yes, are we imperfect? Of course we are. Um, one perfect guy I know about got nailed to a cross over 2,000 years ago, so we have work to do. But that doesn't mean that we need to tear down and destroy the society, destroy this country that is the greatest country on the face of the earth, and that truly has been blessed by God. And I've been, I, I pray about this every morning, how to be a leader rather than a follower, how to be a part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And it's going to come down to that. It is going to come down to all of us sticking together and finding a solution for this issues that are at hand. And like you, I believe the same thing. You articulated perfectly. I believe black lives matters, white lives matters, all lives matters. Uh, I do not believe in that group, that anarchist, radical group of the Black Lives Matters, because that's what part of the problem is. Um, that's Vince, all I got. Thank Vince, you so Vera, I'm glad. You, you you brought a lot, and, and I appreciate it. Thank you for the call. You did. You brought a lot to it, and I and I agree. And yeah, see, the, the, the real frustrating part about it is, to Black Lives Matter, the organization, Black Lives Don't Really Matter. The only people that Black Lives Matter to, truthfully, are the people who are looking out for protecting the black communities. And the people like Charles Barkley, the people like Walter Williams, the people like Thomas Sowell, the people like Larry Elder, and on down the list we go, of, of, of African Americans. And I shouldn't even do that. I just listed a bunch of black people. I shouldn't have. Uh, but, but people uh, who just support the police, identified by all of those individuals that I just mentioned. The people who really care about black lives know that without police and a heavy police presence in very heavy, crime-ridden, minority urban communities, more black lives will be lost. 7,000 African Americans are murdered a year, roughly. 94% of them by other black people. And without police there, that number grows every single time. So for the Black Lives Matter organization, we also have to separate this. For the Black Lives Matter organization to call for the defunding of police, you are calling for fewer cops in fewer urban neighborhoods 
and more crimes, violent crimes, being committed against black lives. Who really cares about black lives? People who support the police. That's who. Pastor Daryl Scott testified before a House committee on police and race in America last week. He'll testify here on the Bob France Authority next. 